This morning we're going to be sharing from the book of Daniel, the last chapter, chapter 12. And I'd like to read that passage to you now, the whole chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. It would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white, and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest And you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Our children are dismissed. Just a... Quick look back. Uh, the first six, chapter, six chapters of Daniel uh, showed us God's sovereignty in Daniel's life, and it was a, a, almost a biographical uh, part of his life. And then chapters 7 through 12, we get a glimpse behind the scenes, so to speak, of what's going on in the spiritual realm with angels and, and this type of thing, and, and seeing some of the things that are going on in reference to what is called spiritual warfare. And so, uh, today as we look at this last chapter, uh, uh, chapter 12, you need to recall that chapter, this vision actually started in chapter 10. 
And so chapter 10, 11, and the first four verses of, of chapter 12 are all part of this vision. Chapter, uh, if you went back uh, to chapter 10, uh, just a, a quick look. I want to read verses 4 through 14 uh, just to give you a reminder of what was there and tie it all together. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the, the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of multitudes. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I returned, I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of His words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. The implication there is that he fainted. Uh, He was so overwhelmed. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and my knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Would you like to have that written about you, you know, from God's messenger? Oh, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you sent your heart to, set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. That was three weeks prior to this. I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this is a spiritual being it's talking about, and it would be from the demonic side of things, very possibly Satan himself. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, or three weeks. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. Now, this is an amazing thing. There are some people who say that this one who is speaking to Daniel is a a foreshadowing or a type uh, of of Christ, a theophany. And... uh, I don't agree with that, and a lot of other uh, commentators and, and, and scholars don't agree with it either, uh, because he is. There's this part there. You see that uh, yeah, as he's coming against this prince of Persia, he needs the help of Michael, an angel, to come and 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 help. I don't see Christ needing any help to deal with any situation. And so I, I believe this is an archangel. Some say Gabriel, since Michael's the one that came to help him. And uh, so 
Anyway, just uh, keep that in mind as we're looking through this. This angel is speaking very clearly, and he's come to answer uh, Daniel's prayers. Daniel's been praying for, for three weeks at this point, and uh, so he comes to answer the prayers. Uh, I'm not going to read uh, chapter 11, uh, anything there, but in verses 1 through 35, we, it talks about Alexander the Great. He dies, his empire is divided into four parts, and two of those parts are focused on in this chapter. One is Syria, and the other is Egypt. And they are continuously at war with each other. And I know that we've talked about this before a few sermons back, but think about this. What is between Syria and Egypt? Israel. And so it turns out to be one of the battlegrounds, if you will. And uh, this it, it, it really... Uh, enters into Israel's history also as a time of, of uh, war and stuff. And it's not that they're doing it, it's, it's happening to them. And uh, uh, there is then, within the framework of this, a, a leader from the north, from Syria, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is a contempt, it's, it's even said he is a contemptible person. Uh, he is an evil person. Uh, he is considered a type, a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. He has uh, he is decided he's going to go against Egypt. He, they've had many battles, but this time he he gets his biggest army together that he can. He goes down to to Egypt to have to make war. And what has Egypt done? They've aligned themselves with Rome. And Rome has sent many ships and, and a couple of legions to them. And the legion, uh, the leader of the legion, uh, with his legions behind him, meets them out at the battlefield, so to speak. And, and, and they, he has a letter with him from the Senate of Rome. And he hands the letter to Antiochus. And it, what it says is, go home. <laughs> Leave Egypt alone, basically. And he wants time to think about it. And I know I, I mentioned this before, but... The commander then takes his sword out and goes over to Antiochus and, and draws a big circle, drags his sword through the ground, a big circle around him, and he says, make your decision before you leave that circle. And so Antiochus realized that he's not going to make anything happen right now, and so he decides the best thing for him to do is obey the letter, go back to, to uh, Syria, and of course he has to go through Israel uh, to do that. He was extremely, it says, extremely angry. And it, it says almost, the implication is almost as if he were a madman. And he gets to Jerusalem and he pillages the temple. You know, just destroys parts of it. And then he turns around and sacrifices a pig. Now, of course, to the Hebrew people, that is a major desecration. But he not only sacrifices the pig on the altar, but then he turns around and takes the blood of the pig and splatters it literally all through the temple. And so that's what makes the temple desolate to the priesthood. They can't go in it. Okay, And, and so the abomination of desolation is 
attributed to the first time that we use this term with Antiochus Epiphanes. All the more to make him a type of the Antichrist. And so uh, he goes on home and, and, and we get into uh, verse uh, 36 through 45. And this deals with the Antichrist. It's a, it's a look ahead to the Antichrist. Uh, in fact, the last phrase in verse 35 uh, is included here as far as the reading goes. It says, the time of the end, in verse 35, uh, and a specific appointed time in history yet to come, it's already, for lack of better words, it's already ordained. It's going to happen on a particular point in time. It says, the king shall do as he wills. This is the Antichrist. He's going to do whatever he wants, as he pleases. The king shall do as he pleases. And he will, it says he will speak astonishing things against God. And the idea of astonishing thing here is, is blasphemies. Things that you can't imagine anyone would say uh, about anybody's religion but especially, you know, the one true God. And, it, it's, and it's intentional to anger the people as well as, as to thumb, literally in a sense, thumb his nose at God. And so he then goes and declares himself as God. He stands in the temple of the Hebrew people and declares himself as God. This is the Antichrist. Interesting thing. I don't want you to miss this important part of Daniel. All the way through the book of Daniel. In Daniel's specific personal life, as well as in the the visions that he's having here, especially in, in, in chapters 10, 11, and 12, is the sovereignty of God. Never lose track that anything is happening without God either allowing it or intervening directly. Now, what that is telling you, and telling all of us, I should say, is that God is absolutely in charge, past, present, and future. Nothing happens without His permission. We talked about this also before. The devil had to ask permission to go after Job. Jesus said that you know, the devil was going to go after Peter, and he said he's asked permission basically, and I have said he can. You know, in other words, the devil is is under the sovereignty of God. He can't move. He he, he when he when he tries, he is in rebellion. And he, he, he knows the consequences of that. And so, basically, you know, we have uh, an enemy who has to basically uh, get God's permission or, his, uh, or at least be allowed by God's sovereignty to work. People might ask why that's allowed. God allows it to refine us. To make us stronger in our faith. To strengthen us in our walk. And some people will say, well, what about those who go the other way? They were already headed that way. 
And so we have this picture of, of, of the Antichrist uh, you know, moving towards it, but never lose the, the reality that God is sovereign. So he, the Antichrist, verse 45, shall come to his end, it says. And it, will, and it says something that's extremely interesting. With none to help him. The Antichrist, who, who is this terrible person who gains control globally, and he comes to his end basically all alone. And, and uh, Paul tells us that at the appearance of Christ in his coming, he will just simply show up and go, and the Antichrist will be through. I think that is an absolute amazing picture of the authority and the awesomeness of God and who He is. In chapter 12, which we just read, it's the end of the vision is the first four verses. And I want to read those verses again. At that time, in other words, at this point, at the end of verse 45, where it says, Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time arise, uh, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. He is the angel that oversees the Hebrew people and, and ministers to them. And there will be a, a time of trouble, such as has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Okay, so basically he's saying, shut this up until the end of, of, of history, so to speak, and then, you know, we'll, we'll look at it again. And, and this idea of, of where it says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Almost everybody that I looked at in, in searching this out came to uh, the, that it was the simplest of phrases. They will, the running to and fro will, will say that they will increase, basically implies that they're going to in, increase in the ability to get around. And then the, uh, it, it says, and knowledge shall increase. And over the, the, the centuries, it, it took uh, several hundred years into uh, the, the time after Christ for the amount of knowledge that was available to man to double. And then it took a couple of hundred years. And then it took 50 years. And now we're at a point where they're saying within the next 20 years or, or less, you know, this type of thing. And so knowledge is exploding. We, our understanding of what's going on is exploding. Our, our communication with, uh, through satellites and, and different types of, of, of things going out into space, learning about things that, that are just amazing. I think of my grandfather. 
he died in 1974 at the age of 94. He said he was amazed at all that had happened in his lifetime of the increase in knowledge. And he said that, well, he remembered, he, he graduated from uh, Berkeley at 19 with his teaching credential and his master's degree in mathematics. And of all the places, they wanted to keep him and they wanted him to go here and there. And he went to Lompoc, California to be the first full-time headmaster of a school, one-room schoolhouse. And he says he remembers riding his horse to the schoolhouse every day. And, you know, there were no cars in the community at all for even after cars were around for a while. And he says, I've gone from riding a horse to seeing men walk on the moon in his lifetime. And I'm thinking of all the things that, that, that have happened that I just take for granted that would, would totally amaze him. And I think if that would amaze him, can you imagine going back to the 1500s or the, some of the scientists of that time who were just beginning to discover things, what they would say if they could have a glimpse of what we see today every day on the news or, or in the newspaper or in science magazines or whatever. And so we have this picture of, of uh, you know, man's, the, the ability to transfer, it was said in the, uh, when cars were coming out, there was a scientist that came up with a ratio of, of how much pressure a face could take in, in, in moving in, in thrust, moving forward. And he said at 55 miles an hour, the, the, the skin's going to just come off, you know. And, and, and it, it obviously, we, that's not what's happened. Uh, but that was what little they knew even then. And now... Gosh, how fast can we go? And, and uh, it's just, uh, again, things that were not even considered at that point in time that we're doing now in the sense of, of space and, and, and uh, globally within the framework of, of uh, transportation. It uh, takes a few hours to fly from the East Coast to Europe. And on a ship it took... Forever, really, <laughs> it seemed like. And so, uh, all of this is just to say, all of, all of this time, God's going to allow a time of, of, of tremendous growth in all these areas uh, before He returns and comes again. It says in, in, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, that God is going to comfort His chosen people during the times of trials. Uh, and, and clearly, there's difficult times ahead. When you read through this, you see there's going to be difficult times ahead. God will get you through. He's, he's making a, a statement. He's making a promise. I will see you through this. Uh, and His angels will minister to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us, is the ministering angels will, will come to us. And in fact, we are told that we don't know when we're entertaining someone that we've never met before that we might be entertaining an angel. And who knows in this room how many times you've actually had an angel encounter. Have you ever thought about that, that that's a possibility? 
You know, it, it sounds like we're getting into fantasy and, and, and science fiction and stuff like that, but it, the reality, it says that we could encounter an angel and not even know it. My grandmother told me that I'd put my guardian angel to great tasks. So, uh, you know... Uh, In verses 5 through 7 of chapter 12, it says, I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on the, the bank of the stream and one on the, that bank of the stream. In other words, he's at the Tigris River. This, this being is, is still, in a sense, standing or hovering, really. His feet is not touching the water uh, over the, the river that has been talking with him. Now there's two more uh, that are, are there. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, someone, one of these two, uh, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half times. Now, some have gone with the book of Revelation and, and tied these together and said, well, we're looking at three and a half years. One time is a year, times is for two years, and a half a time is a half a year, so three and a half years. Or half of the 70th week of Daniel. I don't have any problems with that. But I really, this is also colloquialism. And so, it was used to mean a lot of time. So, I'm inclined to see it here as it's going to be a lot of time. It's, you know, from when this is taking place, obviously it's been a lot longer than three and a half years since this was said. And so, I'm in, of inclined to look at it as that picture of this is going to be a long period of time. Uh, but even here, God is in control. And, and he's, he is in, in complete control. We need to learn to trust God as we go through these trying times, if you will. Because what he's doing is, and, and he uses these terms, he's refining us. He's, he's changing us as we depend more on him and we see his hand move and take care of us and meet our needs according to His purpose. We turn and we, it says He's refining us. Today we might use also the word sanctify. He's, he's taking off the rough edges. He's building up a, a holiness within us that is a sign of His life in us. He's literally, one person put it, He's literally growing us into children of God. Verse 8 of chapter 12, Dan says, I, I, I heard all of this, but I did not understand. I felt so relieved when I read that because how much I have not understood of the book of Daniel. And he says, Oh Lord, how is it all going to work out? That's a paraphrase, I know, but it's, it's, how's it all going to work out, Lord? 
And the angel said to Daniel, basically, it's not for you to know all the details. But here's a little. Many will be purified. Refined. The wicked won't. Those who reject God and His Word, they won't be purified or refined. But there are many who will seek God and in the process enter into this relationship where purification, sanctification, if you will, starts to happen. He says the wicked aren't going to get it because they refuse to fear God. And basically it literally means the idea of they refuse to be in awe of who God is. This isn't just a tremble at God in that kind of a sense. But, but we are to have a fear of God. The wicked don't get it. But those who are wise, it says, will understand. And you can't help but think of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, as we grow in the Lord, as we are in awe of who He is, we're actually getting wiser according to the kingdom of God. It may not be wiser according to the things of the world. In fact, some of them will think we're idiots, uh, that we're foolish, uh, that we're living in a fantasy world of some kind. But the reality of what God says is, I will preserve you. I will take care of you. I will put you to a point where you are a part of my kingdom. And, and you will enter into a personal relationship with me. And I will take care of you. And as soon as I, I was putting that together, I was thinking uh, of the picture uh, that got so famous uh, with the footprints in the sand. And it, and, it, and it says, God, when I was in so much trouble, where were you? It's only one set of footprints. And God says, oh, I was carrying you. And so that reality that God is that intimate with us, as we are in awe of who He is, as we draw close to Him, as we worship Him and declare Him and read His Word, He turns around and embraces us in such a way that He carries us. He intercedes on our behalf. Verse 13 is a powerful verse when you start to think about it. As for you, Daniel... Go your way until the end. Then you shall enter your rest. Stand in your allotted place. God says, i got a spot for you already picked out. You're going to stand there. And, and, and it's going to come at, at the point that you have entered into your rest. Then you will stand in your allotted place. And the idea of rest is to go to sleep. The idea here is that you, it's not a sleep like anything that you've ever known. It's a, it's a rest. And what is it a rest from? All the sin and ugliness of the world. It will be behind you. And he says, and you will stand in your allotted place. And, and I'm thinking, you know, of the scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 4, uh, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that a powerful phrase? What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And, and so you have this picture of, of, of entering into the kingdom of God, and most people would say, "Well, does this mean that you've died?" Well, that's that's really what is implied here with the idea of you'll enter your rest and then stand in your allotted place. So that clearly is talking about life after death. And someone says, "Well, how fast does this mortal 
get swallowed up by life. And and we have people talk about something. Well, some people talk about what's called soul sleep. That we're, we're, we 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 will all come to the at the point of the resurrection. You know, we'll come out of our soul sleep. I'll tell you what. That's not what Jesus said. On the cross in Luke chapter twenty three verse forty three, when Jesus was speaking to the, the the criminal who was identifying himself with Jesus, he said. When you enter into paradise, will you take me with you? And Jesus said, this day, and it literally is for the language, this day, you will be with me. You're going to close your eyes here and open your eyes in heaven. You will be with me in paradise. The worst thing Paul says you can do to me is take my life and I gain. To live as Christ, to die is gain. He says, that, that Satan's best shot at me is to take my life, and I win. And it won't. Once it happens, it won't bother me a bit. We turn around and we say, "Well, what about us with all our grief?" That's because we were in a love relationship with someone. And I, I, I tell people, I thank God for the grief that we have because it tells us that we had a relationship that was close and special. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But this day you'll be with me. I want to close with the thought that there is a battle going on in an unseen part of, 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 of what is going on in the universe, in the world. And like I said, it's like a curtain was lifted and we got to peek underneath it and have some of it explained as Daniel caught a glimpse of it. And... Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all these things, the belt of truth, which is the Word of God. And, and these are our weapons, if you will, in this spiritual warfare. How are we guard, guard, guarded against the things of, of the devil? God has given us this right here. He's given us the ability to have faith, the ability to be in prayer with Him, which is personal Communion. He says we can approach His throne, and we can, and we're doing it in our heart and in our in our mind because obviously we're not physically there. But He says we can approach His throne and ask for His mercy and grace, and He lavishes it out on us when we acknowledge and stand in awe of Him. He blesses us. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about watch where you're going. Watch, watch where you set your feet. Watch where you walk. I think of the, the song, be careful little, what is it, little feet where you go, and little hands and all this kind of that mouth, what you say, for a kid's song. And anybody that's done children's ministry knows it. And, and this idea is, is from Ephesians. It says, you know, be careful where you walk. Be careful where you go. Don't, you know, if you see something that you know is offensive to the to God and His Word, and doesn't stand with that. Avoid it. And and so, uh, watch where you walk. Ephesians chapter five talks about it. And then it says, uh, don't don't be filled with the things of the world, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what the, the intent is is that that's something that you do. 
consciously, frequently, any, and not necessarily only once. Oh, I woke up this morning and said, Oh Lord, fill me with your spirit today. I might need a, a filling any given time of the day as I'm tempted. Lord, fill me with your spirit as I am being tempted to do this or to do that. And so we have this picture of God being with us. And all of this is possible because of what Christ did on the cross. All of it is possible. In fact, when Jesus said it's finished, even though it's, there, there is still activity going on in the demonic world, there's still the, the, the temptation of sin and all these things, when He said it's finished, He was talking first and foremost about the penalty of sin has been paid for for all who will believe now and hereafter and all those who waited in, on Me before. Okay, so He's... he's, he's making that declaration, it's finished. There's absolutely nothing that we can bring to the altar of God to get closer to Him in the sense of salvation. It's, it's a personal relationship that's established that does it. And He's the one that establishes it. And He did it through the cross. He said it is finished. But He also was taking the whole context of evil and he said, it's done for. It was implied by the words, it is finished. Satan you know, is, is no longer you know, a threat because of what Christ has done for us. Death, where's your sting? All of these things is a powerful, powerful picture of what Christ has done for us. Every time we take communion, we celebrate that. What Christ has done for us. And so, uh, today as we, we take communion, I'd uh, like to uh, have the, the worship team. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, sing together. And while we're singing the, the song uh, for communion uh, in Christ alone, uh, we will ask that you would come up and I guess you could call it self-serve uh, your the communion. And we have on this side the the cups with the bread in it and and uh, individually two cups. And on this side we have the packets if you would prefer. And so uh, while we're singing, please come and pick up the communion, and we'll share in a few minutes.
I didn't see it. (laughs) I love the verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There is no condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus. And what that means is all of us who have received Christ as our Savior, we've uh, asked Him to be our Savior. We've entered into a relationship and, and it's an amazing thing to know. All that you have done has been washed away. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt in those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing verse that is. Paul shared with the Corinthians, he said, What I have received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And so let's share in the bread together. Paul goes on and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink... Excuse me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. All that has been poured out on us. We rest with confidence in the Word. It is finished. And we rest with that statement that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We worship You and we praise You for all that You have done for us. We ask now, Lord, that You would go with us and cause us to dwell on the things of Your kingdom through the day, at night. And we don't hesitate to ask, Lord, that You would bring dreams of peace even. And we continue to pray for those who are not with us today. We ask Your blessing on them as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close?
Captured my heart with this love.